This is uh, Voices of the Sacred Feminine, and I'm Karen Tate. Uh, And I want to thank you for uh, tuning in today. And uh, uh, if you're a regular listener, thank you for your listener loyalty. And um, Alea Deo is the artist uh, who opened up the show with that little snippet, uh, Awaken. And somehow it seemed appropriate for uh, the topic of today's show, uh, which is about reincarnation and soul groups. Now, um, I normally don't uh, interview authors of fiction. Uh, however, uh, I was intrigued uh, by the themes explored in uh, Janet Rebin's novel, Rachel's Return, as well as all the research she'd done for the book, uh, including real documented cases of reincarnation uh, and soul groups. So besides uh, discussing uh, reincarnation with her today, we're going to get into soulmates and the Akashic Record uh, Janet will discuss uh, her creative uh, writing process, uh, tapping into that spiritual realm as she writes, and uh, we'll learn more uh, about her strong female characters uh, she's depicted, which she believes is uh, embodying the essence uh, of the of the divine feminine. But before I do that, uh, let me just tell you a little bit about uh, Janet. Uh, she calls herself an author uh, committed to exploring truth through fiction, and we'll ask her what she means by that. And um, she also believes in the power of the imagination to change the world, and while wow, we certainly need that today. <laughs> uh, she was born in West Texas, and uh, uh, she was 16 when she moved to L.A., where she pursued acting and modeling. Uh, but she also studied uh, creative writing at UCLA, and her first novel uh, was published in 2012. It was titled uh, Finding Tranquility Base, uh, which um, she saw as a metaphor uh, for the Vietnam War. Now, her latest novel, which we're talking about today, Rachel's Return, uh, it weaves the supernatural and uh, material worlds together in a suspenseful drama about uh, reincarnation and mother-daughter soulmates. Uh, Janet's the mother of two grown daughters herself, and uh, she still lives in L.A. with her husband. So, Janet, uh, welcome to Voices of the Sacred Feminine. Thank you, Karen. It's nice to be here. Uh, well, I'm glad to have you with me. Uh, this is a topic uh, I really enjoy, and um, I'm intrigued by the themes. And uh, why don't you start with sort of a brief, um, you know, thumbnail sketch of what uh, Rachel's return is about beyond what I've uh, maybe shared already. Sure. Um Okay, so it is, uh, like you said, it's a suspenseful drama about mother-daughter soulmates that explores the concept of reincarnation, and it takes place in Los Angeles. The main character is Caroline Martin. She's 45 years old. She's the wife and mother of two sons, and the youngest son is going off to college now, and she's facing an empty nest, and she has elected to have a hysterectomy due to health issues she's having and feeling very sad right now because she always wanted a baby girl. She's having dreams um, about a baby and she's just feeling really strange. And what she doesn't realize is that she is actually in the early stages of a pregnancy. And she follows through with the hysterectomy anyway due to a medical error. And this leaves the baby girl's soul in a state of limbo because she doesn't go back to the heavenly realm and consult with her guides. At this point, she gets caught up in the emotions, the powerful emotions that she's having because she doesn't understand why she wasn't able to connect with her chosen birth mother. And being in this limbo makes her vulnerable to taking the next available route to rebirth. And this is through the the, uh, the next uh, pre- 
pregnant host that comes into her vicinity, and this happens to be a young woman named Marianne who is sharing a hospital room with Caroline, and she has been shot by her abusive boyfriend, and she's just gotten out of ICU, and her uh, she's in her eighth month of pregnancy, and the baby's barely hanging on, and of course she's unclaimed because um, most souls uh, won't claim a mother who's in a situation like that unless they're desperate, and Caroline's baby girl soul is desperate at this point, so she ends up being born to this woman who's in this abusive situation, and that sets up the conflict for the novel, and in the novel, uh, as you said, I juxtapose the earthly realm with all its drama and trauma with the spiritual um, spiritual realm, which is more buoyant, and um, I weave the two together, and there's multiple characters and storylines that come into play, and um, we solve the issue of getting these two soulmates back together. Wow. Uh, that's uh, that's quite an interesting twist there. Um, and well, and I'm not going to ask you if it had a happy ending or not. Readers are just going to have to pick up the book and find out about that. Um, but let me ask you, um, what was the inspiration here? I mean, I, I have to say, you know, reading your bio, um, you know, you with two sons, um, you know, it was was this on any level, uh, you know, a, a biography? Your biography, autobiographical? Uh, No, it's definitely a novel, but that said, uh, I believe that we bring quite a bit of ourselves into novels, whether we know we are or not. And I usually see this more in retrospect. But, um, I mean, having been a mother myself, of two daughters. I definitely relate to my protagonist. She is uh, more of a composite, as most characters are, of uh, a little bit of me in there, a little bit of uh, some people I've known, and and a lot of imagination. And um, I basically was just wondering one day what would happen if, if that soul connection didn't happen. And I think only a mother could have that question come up in the first place. Sure, sure, I get that. Um, So you delve into the afterlife, reincarnation, soulmates, guardian angels. Um, Are these uh, based on any documented cases or... um, you know, on particular ones, or what, what, did they just maybe serve as inspiration? They basically served as inspiration, yes. I did read quite a few books, have read many, many books over the years um, about reincarnation and starting with books on near-death experiences that gave a glimpse of the afterlife, followed by books about children who remembered past lives, and also books by psychologists who had regressed their clients in uh, hypnotherapy to remember childhood trauma and heal from it, and they ended up regressing them even farther back. And remembering, they remembered life between lives and their soul groups and um, past lives. And I read these with absolute fascination. And I think I did definitely uh, draw uh, inspiration from all of these. So a lot of what I created in this novel is based on stories that are supposedly true. Right, right. Well, um, you mentioned soul groups. Um, Now, um, I am imagining maybe that might be a new term for some listeners. Um, Explain what a soul group is, please. Sure. Um, When I was reading these books by the psychologists that regressed their clients to remember life between lives, they would go to a place where they 
checked in, if you will, with their guides and their soul groups. And these soul groups are made up of people who have incarnated with one another before. So your soulmate can essentially be anyone that you've had a past life with, not necessarily a romantic relationship with. And that got me thinking, okay, so mother-daughter, you know, you could maybe um, have been in a situation before with someone that always incarnates as your mother, or maybe you take turns, and one thing led to another, and I came up with this idea. And then, of course, the question of what would happen if they somehow, something happened that kept them from being together. Right. And you uh, came with uh, quite a unique twist uh, for... uh, you know, for that mother-daughter duo to, um, uh, you know, not find each other. Although, you know, I, I, I think you left enough clues that uh, uh, the the mother in the book uh, probably finds her daughter uh, when she's born to the other woman. But that's just my guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, so. Uh, so, so um, now you have an interesting um, uh, writing uh, practice uh, that you know I've uh, I've never quite heard of uh, before, maybe once or twice. But uh, it's from your materials that I was looking over. Uh, you feel that you actually tap into the spiritual realm when you write. Um, uh, tell us about that a little bit. I mean, do you meditate beforehand, or do you think you're? I mean, it's, you're you're not doing you know downloads or automatic writing or anything like that. I don't think, right? No, I wouldn't call it automatic writing or downloads or channeling or anything like that. Um, I would. And as far as meditation goes, I'm at a point now where I feel like I'm in a constant state of meditative practice. <laughs> it follows me wherever I go now. It's, um, but, but when I sit down to write, as long as I refrain from uh, editing myself as I go or criticizing myself or judging myself, if I just go with the flow interesting things always happen. And if they don't, I move on to something else. And uh, my process is essentially, I think, it's a, I think it's a process that a lot of writers use, and that is the first draft of the novel needs to be, you need to be in that flow where you can just create, you have, a, you have an idea in mind, the beginning and an, uh, and an end, and you let the middle just flow. And you don't you don't uh, critique yourself as you go. And what happens when you write this way is your characters will end up doing unique things that you didn't know they were going to do. And some characters introduce themselves. Some characters that you didn't even know you were going to have in your novel will come onto the stage. And that is the fascinating part of writing for me. So. And as far as tapping into the spiritual realm, I personally believe that the spiritual realm and the creative realm and the collective unconscious that psychologists talk about, I think they're all one and the same. And really what you're doing is just allowing yourself to connect with it. And so long as you keep that channel open, it, that can happen. Yeah, I get that. So you you start in a way with a brain dump, um, you know, and you kind of just let it all pour out, um, and uh, that way you don't you know stop the flow, uh, so to speak. You know, you because if you go back and you start to get critical about what you've written, uh, that's sort of like turning off the spigot. Exactly, exactly. And then what you have is something that is not going to have as much truth in it as it otherwise would have. I get that. Um, Well, um, speaking of truth, um, you say that you're committed to exploring truth 
through fiction. Um, you know, what is what does that mean, and uh, why not then just write nonfiction? Well, that's an interesting question, and I think that I can tap into more truth as a novelist. I'm not only drawn to writing fiction, or I think it's because when you get to create the vessel that the truth comes in, you can create a really attractive vessel. You can create one that is entertaining and really make it a nice presentation, whereas if you're dealing with nonfiction, you're stuck with facts and maybe a, a story <laughs> that doesn't flow as well as you'd like it to. So if you're trying to get truth across to somebody, um, it's easier to do it through fiction and not to confuse facts with truth because fiction is is fiction, but the truth is an essence, more or less. So I get it. I get it. Following me. Yeah, yeah, I do. Um, I, I, I do get it. You know, because uh, facts can be uh, pesky things, <laughs> uh, and there's a place, and you know, there's a, there's a place for them. Um, you know, uh, especially in what's going out, going on out in the world, we ought to be dealing with facts. Uh, but you know, but when you're, uh, you know, when you need to, you know, tap into that creative license. Uh, you know, into that creativity, um, you know, facts can really hinder uh, a really great idea or a really interesting plot twist, uh, for instance. And, you know, that kind of brings me back to the stuff you were reading uh, that inspired you. Um, Were there particular uh, cases of reincarnation that stand out in your mind that – that really made an impact, and you know, are you a, are you a believer in reincarnation now? Well, there was one particular story, and I can't even remember what book I read it read about it in, but I believe it was one of the books about a child who remembered past life. But in this particular book, this person had been murdered and it it was a shock to his system so when he passed on his spirit being in a place of uh, not being peaceful he didn't move back to the heavenly realm like he was supposed to and I call it the heavenly realm for lack of a better name but you can call it what you will but he did not go back to the soul place and check in with his guides and his soulmates he looked for the first available pregnant woman he could find because he wanted to get back in a body as soon as possible to get revenge. And I found that story fascinating because it said a lot about uh, letting go and, you know, as in spiritual groups you're always hearing don't hold on, non-attachment, let go, and he did just the opposite, which is what kept him chained to the earth plane even after his death. And that gave me, that contributed to the idea that I had with um, Baby Soul, not going home and trying again with Caroline in another life. I had her get stuck in a state of limbo on the earth plane because she couldn't let go, because she got trapped by all the emotions of the earth plane. And so that also reflects a lot of the reading I've done in spiritual books. So let me ask you, um, with with the extensive research you've done, you know, with your... um, I'm just going to call it, you know, uh, download or your connection to what you believe, uh, you know, is the spiritual realm, um, you know, when you write. 
uh, for, you know, for listeners who are uh, tuned in because, you know, they want to maybe glean some insights, um, you know, maybe about the afterlife or reincarnation, um, you know, w- what ideas can you share, uh, you know, that might be, uh, you know, new and fresh uh, that maybe uh, we haven't heard before? Well, I wouldn't venture to say what you have or haven't heard before, but I I think for a lot of people who read this, it will be new and fresh because maybe they don't already have uh, ideas about the afterlife. And those that do have these ideas, they're going to relate. They're going to like it because it reflects everything they do believe because it is based on... um, a lot of my own personal experiences as well as a lot of things I've read about and heard about and studied over the years. And even though it is a work of fiction, it is inspired by things and books and stories that um, are supposedly not fiction. So (laughs) I don't know uh, how better to say that. I think that if you're looking for a takeaway from the book, I'm sorry, it would be that we're all interconnected and that we really can't just mind our, go through life minding our own business and avoiding all the issues in the world because they all do play into one another. And I think the story kind of reveals how we're all connected and not only how we can be of service to one another, but even if you don't have that in mind, it it kind of shows how um, you're still going to be affected and unless you care about the whole picture and you really need to show up in life and be concerned about the big picture because we are all in this together. Well, I like that. I mean, I I like that. I mean, it's important, uh, you know, especially in uh, today when, you know, we turn on the news and you have so many of the world, uh, so many people in the world that seem unconcerned about how their actions uh, affect others. Uh, I'm thinking about, you know, all of these people who refuse to wear masks, uh, you know, during a pandemic. Um, But um, I I guess I'm wondering uh, if you think you've uh, developed any theories about the process uh, of reincarnation. Um, You know, do you think it varies from uh, person to person, soul to soul? I mean, uh, how long before you might jump into another body? How do you decide that you're going to come back? Um, you know, anything like that. I mean, uh, I mean, and obviously no one knows for sure, uh, but if you've, you know, you've done all this research, um, you know, tell me about, you know, maybe some of the theories you've, um, you know, possibly developed. Okay, sure. And first of all, I'll start by saying that the, the book does cover a lot of that. So uh, by reading the novel, you will get introduced to a lot of interesting theory along the way. Um, but I personally now believe that um, that we we do reincarnate. I think the soul uh, lives on after physical death. I think the soul can be described as consciousness, uh, not necessarily your personality, but uh, this consciousness is is in a vessel which we call the soul. So the soul is the vessel or the uh, receptacle for for your particular consciousness, which is made up of your, I would say, your virtue and um, maybe some of your karma, your wisdom, and that this is what lives on. And I think we have the choice when we die, if we're conscious and aware, we have the choice of going back and staying in the mind of God, or we can reincarnate. And um, I think that if you're not uh, at a place where you're conscious and aware and awake, you might miss that opportunity. And so then 
you will definitely reincarnate. <laughs> and um, and with each life, we get the chance to continue to grow. I think consciousness is continuing to evolve, just as the universe is constantly expanding. And so, yes, it, it did. These books, the reading, the studying, and the research that I did. Uh, convinced me that this uh, is probably how it works. I mean, if you look around, just looking at nature, you can, I think it was Voltaire that said um, that it it shouldn't be surprising that um, we're born more than once um, because everything in nature is resurrection. And if you study, if you look at nature, you see the flowers that die, but their seeds are in the soil and uh, they come back up again. And um, essentially, uh, we take that that part of our consciousness with us. And maybe sometimes we do keep certain personality traits, but it's the soul, uh, it's the consciousness that is the part that that, uh, survives. And that part is really made up of the best that we can glean from each life. Hmm. Okay. Um, well, I wonder, do you have any theories on why some people remember their past lives and uh, other people don't? And uh, it seems that uh, maybe at a certain age we lose the ability to remember, or uh, maybe you've come across stories where people remembered their past life into adulthood. I have a theory that the people who remember their past lives are either A, they fall into two categories. One would be maybe the, the child that did have um, a difficult death and made an immediate return to a body. Then, and this is based on the stories I've read, that would definitely keep him a little more attached to the previous past life, and uh, they tend to forget about it when they get to about the age of five, I guess, but while they're very young, they can remember it, and if so long as they're with a parent that doesn't make them feel crazy for having these thoughts, if the parent listens and pulls it out of them, um, they remember it. So that would be one theory, but the other theory I have is that uh, I think it might also be something that uh, we remember more as we consciously evolve. And I think that that could be something that in the future more and more people will remember because as we evolve and wake up, these things would be more easily acce- uh, accessible for us. Although I, I think that we probably couldn't live the kind of lives we want to live if we remembered everything (laughs) it would be too chaotic right so I think there's a reason for the loss of memory that serves us yeah that makes sense although you know you do hear about the child prodigies you know that they wake up one day and they can play the piano or something and uh, you have to wonder if maybe uh, that's from a past life but um you know, I would imagine if, if uh, talents like that can um, seep through, um, you know, other things, uh, not so positive might also seep through uh, as well. Um, so, uh, so two questions. Uh, first, uh, about soul groups, and uh, I, I'd like to know what you think the purpose the soul group plays, and um, I wonder if you have any thoughts about past life regressions. Uh, do you think um, they're a real thing? Uh, have you ever had one? Um, so I'll pose those two questions to you. Sure. Um, as far as soul groups go, the purpose, I think that from based on what I read, they came to learn from one another. And... Um, because no one has isolated experiences. And and I think by um, reincarnating together again and again, they can work on the same themes, the same issues, the same problems, the same 
you know, or enjoy the same things, whatever they want to explore, apparently is is the case. Where in this, in in my story, I made it a mother daughter thing, so that they reincarnated again and again as parents to as mother or child together, and by playing that role over and over. They enjoyed it, and they learned things. They learned from it. And based on what I've read, that was the main reason you had the soul group. Not that you never introduced someone new to the end of the picture. You were free to do come and go as you please. But um, it's like anything in real life, in, in our reality here on the earth plane. We, we hang out with the same people because... We like them, and we have fun with them, and we learn from them. Um, so that would be my answer to your first question. And then you asked me if I'd ever been regressed. No, but I would really like to if I could find somebody really good at it. <laughs> I think it would be an interesting thing to do. But I, I don't feel like I need to know what happened in my past to to move forward. I think that we have access to all of it, what we need to be peaceful in this life through uh, meditation and through our own spiritual practice. But I think it would be fun. It would be interesting. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. Uh, I've had a few myself and, uh, you know, I'm uh, I'm one of these uh, Virgo discerning types that, uh, you know, I don't want to delude myself. So you, um, uh, well, I wonder, uh, you know, if it's just something I've made up in my imagination or if it's, uh, uh, you know, if it's really real, you know. Um, you know, I can say one of the past lives, I think, really taught me something about um, how to live this current life. Uh, and then others, um, you know, others that I've had, um, you know, it, there doesn't seem to be too much of a connection, but then, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to know. You know, um, now the people that I'm suspicious of are the ones that think they were Cleopatra, <laughs> uh, you know, rather, you know, rather than someone who was just, uh, you know, leading a normal life, you know, toiling in the fields, uh, you know, kind of a thing. Um, okay, so Janet, we're going to take a quick break uh, and then we're going to come back and I have uh, uh, some other interesting uh, questions that I want to uh, put to you, but um uh, for right now, um, I'm going to play for listeners something from a review of Joe Carson's book, uh, Celebrate Wildness, and we'll be back in just a minute. This is from Jonathan Nightshade, a traditional craft practitioner and researcher, writing about Joe Carson's book, Celebrate Wildness, Magic, Mirth, and Love on the Feriferia Path. I love this book. How special this work is and how appreciated. As someone who was young in the 1970s and through the years only found snippets of information on Feriferia, one of the first modern pagan paths, this book comes as an artistic revelation of the core practices of the way of the goddess and gods reborn for the next age of the divine maiden. She has clearly introduced the historical background, philosophy, and ritual practices of the joyous wilderness mysteries of the fairy faith, illuminated by the marvelous pagan art of Feriferia's founder, Fred Adams. I was very pleased that the high-quality production of this oversized volume makes it a collectible work of art, as well as a testament to the visionary philosophy of Fred Adams. I feel blessed that I received a copy. I will treasure it and look forward to the next book for more of the deep philosophy and ritual practice of Feriferia. Celebrate Wildness is a dense art book quality hardcover book. You can get it for just $45 from the Feriferia website at feriferia.org. That's F-E-R-A-F-E-R-I-A dot org. 
So just to clarify, Joe Carson's lovely book, Celebrate Wildness, is available only at feriferia.org, F-E-R-A-F-E-R-I-A.org. So uh, no rushing off to Amazon to find that. You have to go to feriferia.org. So uh, if you're just tuning in late, uh, I am chatting with author uh, Janet Rebin, and uh, her newest book is about reincarnation and soul groups. Uh, however, it's a nonfiction book called uh, Rachel's Return, where she uh, weaves uh, the supernatural and material worlds together in this uh, drama about reincarnation and mother-daughter uh, soulmates. Um, so Janet, Um, we're still kind of talking about your theories uh, about reincarnation from all the uh, extensive research you did to uh, help you, um, you know, have a foundation to write this book. And I'm wondering, um, do you have a theory on how many times we are, you know, our soul might actually uh, reincarnate? I honestly think it's an ongoing thing based on everything I've read. Um, I did consult with a book called The Tibetan Book of the Dead, and um, you asked earlier how many days it was. I think think that that's the only place I came across a time frame, and I think it was something like 45 or 49 days uh, for the soul to um, come back into another host. But I think that it's an ongoing thing. And so unless and, until and you, you know, take that option. Well, and I realize I'm asking you impossible questions to give a definitive answer. Um, you know, I'm, I'm just sort of tapping into, you know, your your thoughts on the subject. But uh, it, so let's say in those 40, 45 days, uh, if you come back and you connect with your soul group, um I don't know. I guess I wonder, um, you know, is that like a vacation? (laughs) Uh, You know, because you're not dealing with the struggles of, uh, you know, everyday life on the mundane plane? I guess it could be. I I have been told or I've read that the time uh, in the other realm is completely different from time on the earth plane, so you may have time to have a very extensive vacation in uh, in the heavenly realm and come back here, and it's only been 49 days. Maybe it's been 49 years for you on the other side. <laughs> yeah, that would really be a bummer, wouldn't it? I mean, only a 40-day vacation between lifetimes. <laughs> and we think if we only get one, one week vacation a year, um, you know, we're feeling put upon. Um, but um, <laughs> so, um, I, and I want to ask you about your characters a, uh, a bit more. But um, uh, you know, before I do, just you know, one last thing I want to ask you if if you have a theory. Um, is do you think uh, you know after what you know you've gone through to uh, you know to write this book? Do we have any um, uh, things we misunderstand? Uh, or is there any disinformation you think that's maybe out there about uh, reincarnation or soul groups? I don't know how much disinformation there is about reincarnation and soul groups, but I think there's a lot of disinformation uh, in in organized religions. And I, I myself came from a religious background that had a lot of dogma that I've uh, left behind. I kept um, my my belief in the divine, but I let go of a lot of beliefs that were really not serving me and um, beliefs that supposedly were handed down by God, but it's interestingly they get changed from time to time in the bylaws of the a corporation that is behind the church. So do the research before you stake your life on a set of principles and beliefs. 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I think you're going to find a lot of listeners who will, uh, who probably just cheered uh, when they heard you uh, say that. Uh, I, I would not be surprised if uh, most of my listeners are not uh, part of um, the institutionalized uh, church anymore. But um, what in, you know, what in particular uh, just, uh, you know, felt like an untruth um, for you? Well, I. I was raised in uh, in Texas my first 16 years of my life, and Texas is largely, uh, there's a lot of Southern Baptists there. And so that was the church that I grew up in. In addition to that, my father's parents were missionaries to the Central African Republic for 20-something years on behalf of the Brethren faith, which I think is something in between a Methodist and a Baptist. Uh, so suffice it to say, I had a lot of religion in my growing up years, and my mother was one to take us to church regularly. So I was in Sunday school every Sunday morning, followed by church service, uh, training union every Sunday night, followed by another church service, and Wednesday we attended choir practice and in the summer times, we had vacation Bible school. We also had girls' auxiliary. So I learned quite a few Bible verses. And, uh, I, you know, they still serve me, but I, I view them from a different perspective now. And uh, so because I had this upbringing, I was exposed to quite a bit of dogma that didn't uh, serve me. And... The biggest one, I think, the biggest fear instilled in me was the fear of eternal hellfire. <laughs> and as a child, this is really traumatic uh, for children to have this shoved down their throat. And I know the parents are thinking that they're saving their child's soul and this is all good for them, but psychologically it does something to you and you really do have to come to a place someday as an adult and re-examine everything and start all over again and decide what you're going to keep and what you're going to toss out. If you don't do that, what I fear happens is that these beliefs, they're embedded and they're subconscious at this point. They're still going to control your life if you don't examine them and and either throw them out or rearrange them and rewrite them because uh, because fear is uh, that type of fear serves no purpose and i just got to a point where when once i was grown i stopped going to church and started reading other books and educating myself about religion other types of religions and uh, metaphysics and philosophy and you name it. And I've just always been a voracious, voracious reader. And that really saved my life. And uh, But I just couldn't believe that. I didn't really want to follow a God that would send anyone to hell for eternity, for heaven's sakes. You know? <laughs> I mean... <laughs> Uh, how bad can you be that you deserve that? I, I've always thought everybody deserves a chance to redeem themselves, and uh, maybe for you know a period of time, but you know not eternity. <laughs> I don't know. I'm I'm kind of wondering if if uh, if there's redemption for Donald Trump, but that's just uh, that's just me. Um, but no, I, uh, I, I, uh, I I get what you're saying. I grew up um, Catholic in the Bible Belt of New Orleans, so uh, I'm I'm right there with you. And uh, uh, I had to let it all go too because I realized it's just fear-based. It's meant to control, uh, you know, uh, so many ideas uh, that are really healthy uh, and useful to a person uh, don't fit in with the dogma. I mean, like the idea you need a priest or a rabbi to connect with God, you know, that only makes, um, you know, this the patriarchal 
uh, you know, leaders of the church relevant uh, when, you know, they really are irrelevant, uh, you know, when it comes to us having a, having a connection or, um, or, or in this case with, you know, reincarnation. Um, I think uh, I'm probably stating the obvious, but uh, you can't uh, make people live a life in fear of hell uh, if uh, you believe in reincarnation, I mean, the two ideas just don't, uh, you know, uh, they're, they're not simpatico. You know, you can't reconcile them, um, would you say? Or um, do you I, have another I agree. thought on I, I totally agree. I think uh, reincarnation makes a lot of sense, too, because it allows you to keep learning in the next life until you figure it out, until you understand. In other words, I think that like if you if you hurt somebody in one life, you might come back in the next life as that person. Let's say you're a man who beats up a woman, you might come back as a woman in the next life who gets abused by a man. And that would be perfect karma. Um, I, I just think that the idea of getting to keep going and keep at it until you get it right, it makes a lot more sense than uh, just sending someone to an eternal place of punishment. And I can see now that that, that uh, the idea of hell definitely has uh, kept people in line, and that's the whole reason probably it was invented in the first place. And people will point to the Bible and say, oh, you're messing with the uh, inerrant word of God. Well, excuse me, but who wrote that? You know, well, it was men, <laughs> men who were heavily inspired. Uh, well, if they're men, they're still capable of error. And, uh, and I think women can be inspired, too. Well, exactly, and uh, and you know who's to say they weren't just inspired by their own agendas, uh, <laughs> you know, to have power over and control, uh, you know, rather than uh, actually, you know, getting some uh, word from God. Where, yeah, you're right. This does make so much more sense. Um, you know, it, it's a more, you know, it, it's a, would be a more just world. And I find myself more and more. Uh, I, I sure hope there's karma. Karma, you know, uh, di- divine uh, retribution, because <laughs> uh, there's so many evil people, so many abusers out there. It would be nice to uh, have that certainty that you know what, even though we don't see them pay for their deeds in this life, we know they're going to pay for those deeds. Um, you know, maybe they'll come back, come back as a cockroach or something. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, well, and, and you know, this might be a silly question, um, but do you think people actually come back uh, as something other than human? I honestly don't know, but I I would say no because I think that in order to keep growing, I think that you're going to keep moving forward. I think consciousness is constantly moving forward. It's a forward movement. It's an expansive movement. And I just, I, I don't think we go backward. But I, I can certainly imagine plenty of, um, I don't even know that someone has to suffer in their next life to pay back their karma as much as they just have to keep living until they understand, until they wake up. I think that people who are, uh, what we call evil are are extremely uh, missing the mark. They're, as they say, I think they're very psychologically messed up. Um, yeah, I, I just think that they're both one and the same. Well, here's a theory for you. What if? Um, and, and again, you know, I'm, I'm you know, uh, partly playing here, but uh, partly throwing out a potential theory. Um, what if between lives as humans, you actually come back uh, as, I don't know, an oak tree or a, a lioness, uh, and you, you know, and, and as these, um, I'm just going to call them lesser species, and I don't really mean it that way, but they're non-human. Um, maybe that's when you get to appreciate and enjoy the web of life uh, in a way that um, we can't as humans. Um, I don't know. That seems interesting to me. 
it sounds like it would be fun to be a tree. I think <laughs> I think that might be a really nice uh, celestial vacation between um, between bodies. Uh, it would it would uh, it would be very interesting. And I think if that's your belief, then that's perfectly fine. I think we're allowed to believe what we want. I think I have a theory now about belief systems, and that is that um, especially since I've learned now that. Um, these belief systems that we've had in churches have morphed and changed along the way to suit uh, our new world. Um, I realize that I think that we can create whatever belief system makes us the best person that we can be, whatever works for you, because we have that uh, divine um, right to do that. and I, and I think that we're all going back to God anyway. That one thing that we have as our birthright is this ability to manifest life based on what we are holding inside, what beliefs we adhere to. So it's really important to make sure that we have a belief system that works for everyone, that uh, allows equality for everyone, allows everyone to be who they need to be and uh, allows us to all expand and, and continue to grow. And so I think it's right now, with everything that's going on in the world, I think one of the things that is happening as well and needs to happen is a remodel, if you will, of our religious beliefs in addition to a, a lot of the rewriting of um, governmental laws and things to protect everyone and allow everyone the freedom, the rights they need to be fully whole. Yeah, definitely. I mean, this idea that, uh, you know, one sex can be submissive uh, to another sex or uh, any of the other just regressive ideas, uh, you know, even, uh, you know, this idea that uh, dominionist Christians, for instance, uh, you know, they need to control the world and, you know, turn everything into a theocracy. I mean, uh, God, then we have the Handmaid's Tale, you know, oh, uh, I on the planet. watching that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I am looking forward to season three. Um, uh, yeah, I, I, I haven't quite made it there yet, but that's, you know, that's my hope uh, to see that soon. Um, but, uh, but yeah, and I mean, it's, it's crazy. I mean, I've seen, uh, you know, I've seen Republican politicians actually say stuff uh, that they could be straight out of, uh, you know, Gilead, and uh, they're scary. You know, they're, they're, they are really scary people, and uh, they have no place in the future uh, as, as far as I'm concerned. Um, but, uh, but Janet, uh, your book, what, uh, what literary genre uh, does it fall into? Well, it's actually magical realism, which is not what a lot of people think. I think anyone well-versed in literature knows um, that it's a subset of, uh, of the literary of literary fiction, and it it's not um, there's no wizardry or vampires or dragons. It's not um, fantasy, although it gets confused with fantasy. And uh, with magical realism, you have a setting which is in the real world, but you will have elements of something otherworldly that enters from time to time, and it doesn't get explained by the narrator. It is just there, and it serves as, uh, it serves to help the reader understand the story better, to, to change their perspective on things, and with mine, uh, the way I wrote my novel, the spiritual realm can be viewed, if if uh, if you want, as a Greek chorus of sorts. And you know that the Greek chorus essentially helps the spectators view the, the story the way the reader wants you to see it or to open your mind up to, to a different um, 
a different uh, expression other than what you might be thinking. So it's um, that's what ma- magical realism does, and that's why I'm excited about it because I really and I really hope to see more people writing in this genre because I think our world needs it right now. I think that I think that storytellers play a very interesting and important role in giving us ideas that we can maybe chew on or adhere to if they help us move forward in a, in, and be better people and be more compassionate and maybe have a lot uh, less fear. And I, I think that with my story, I wanted to delve into things to assuage fear. I I think there's so much fear associated with death. And I think that if we understood that life is ongoing, life is eternal, uh, we wouldn't fear it as much and we wouldn't be so desperate to get it all right now, to have this and have that. And and, uh, we wouldn't be worried about running out of time and we wouldn't be so greedy. And uh, I, I just think that uh, we need more stories that help people eliminate their fear. Yeah, um, I can I can see your point, and uh, I, I really like where you're going with that. In fact, um, uh, myself uh, as a writer and a speaker and some of the people I've interviewed on my show here, uh, we've had these conversations about um, how important it is <clears throat> that we rewrite the stories out there. Um, you know, we give them a different twist. You know, we give ourselves permission uh, to rewrite even the the Bible stories, the myths, uh, because the way they're skewed right now, um, you know, they really don't serve a purpose for everyone. You know, uh, they serve a purpose for, um, you know, uh, you know, for a select few uh, men <laughs> in a lot of cases, you know, uh, patriarchy. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, I, 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 I totally agree with you there. And so uh, let's talk a little bit about your characters uh, before we, uh, be- you know, before I let you go, because we're, uh, getting short on time here. Uh, so the novel has uh, one strong female character, and uh, you see her as embodying the essence of the divine feminine. Uh, is that the mother? Um, and uh, tell me about <clears throat> how you see her embodying uh, goddess. Well, actually, the novel has four very strong female characters, although Caroline Martin, the mother, is the main character. And she, all of these, all the four strong ones, there are actually six female characters, but four that are very strong. Um, Caroline Martin is the mother. She's fiercely maternal. Um, Dr. Nancy Kelly is the emergency room doctor that befriends the birth mother. And Ragna Sweeney is the nosy but caring concerned next-door neighbor of Marianne, the pregnant woman. And then we have Marge Bechtel, who is the devoted and loving foster mom. Then we also have a couple of really strong uh, male characters who are not your typical male uh, characters. They have a lot of feminine energy in them in in terms of uh, they're very compassionate, they're very intuitive, and uh, devoted to their well, Carolyn's husband, Caroline's husband, Jake, is very devoted uh, to her. And uh, so we, we actually have quite a bit of uh, feminine energy, I guess, in the characters that we're talking about. And, and I would say they, they embody the feminine energy in that they are all about connection and communion and feelings and emotions and relationships, uh, compassion, caring, mercy, uh, these types of things are all things that that are part of the feminine energy. And uh, we all have masculine and feminine energy in us, I think, and uh, women seem to have more of it and, than men, and, but men have it too. And I think that we both need to be working our energies in the positive because any energy can be worked 
positive or negative. And I think we're seeing in our world today, we see a lot of negative masculine energy being being worked, uh, which is all about what you said, domination and that kind of thing. But um, Caroline is uh, very, very uh, maternal, and she's happy to be there. She's she's not. Uh, she has stayed home and raised children. She's educated, and she uh, was planning to go back to school to get her teaching credentials, but she really likes working with children. And um, then we have Dr. Nancy Kelly, who is, she's extremely compassionate. That's why she went into uh, being a doctor. She's also very intuitive, and she listens to her, the inner messages that she gets. And this is how the guides um, help uh, these two soulmates come back together as they work through the sensitive humans. And the, the ones that are the most sensitive are these four women and uh, uh, Mitch Coffey, the detective, and the unorthodox detective, and Jake, who is Caroline's husband. Okay. <clears throat> well, it sounds like you have an interesting uh, group of characters there, Janet. Um, so I look. So the book is brand new. Uh, I, if if I understand, I think it just uh, came out uh, last month. Um, is it available in all the normal places? Yes, it is distributed to all the uh, major booksellers wherever books are sold. Um, you can get it online, and if it's not in your local bookstore, they can order it for you. Okay, and uh, we need to mention the title again. We've spoken about uh, reincarnation so much, we haven't uh, reminded listeners of the title. Uh, it is uh, Rachel's Return. And uh, so, Janet, uh, I know when you write a book, it uh, tends to be a, a five-year project uh, from inception to uh, marketing. So I know you're probably just getting ready uh, to delve, uh, you know, delve into the marketing and spend a lot of time on that. But is there another book uh, percolating there, or uh, is your brain taking a rest? <laughs> I'm definitely taking a bit of a rest, but I feel certain that something new will come into my awareness soon. I like to go with something that's, that I'm passionate about, and I wait. I really do wait for just the right idea. And uh, I've always got a lot rolling around in my head, but I wait until one becomes really interesting to me, and then I embark on it. So, But right now I'm, I am, like you said, I'm wrapped up in the... Uh, uh, marketing, which is a completely different uh, side of the brain to be working with. Yeah, yeah, true. Uh, I mean, I, I don't know about you, but um, uh, that's that's my least favorite part of it. You know, I hate uh, having to go out there and sell it. Uh, you know, I, I just hate to try to sell anything. Um, so it, it definitely helps when you're passionate about the subject. Um, so uh, I, I want to wish you well. And um, before I let you go, give you the final word. Uh, is there anything uh, you'd like to say uh, that maybe I haven't thought to ask you? Um, boy, I don't know. We've covered a lot of ground here. Uh, but just thank you so much for inviting <laughs> me to be on your show. And uh, even though the marketing part, the selling part is, is no fun, this Part of it is. It's really nice having conversations with people like yourself, and uh, uh, just really enjoyed the chat. Well, uh, you know, well, thank you for being here and uh, offering my listeners such uh, uh, an educational and entertaining, um, you know, subject uh, as well. And uh, so, best of luck uh, with Rachel's return, Janet. And uh, when when your next book is about ready to hit the shelves, um, you know, keep my email address, and we'll have another conversation. I will. Thank you so much. I look forward to it. Okay, you're welcome. Uh, bye for now. Bye-bye. Okay, well, that about does it uh, for today, uh, listeners. And um, I will be back with you uh, next Wednesday. 
and uh, at that time, uh, it's actually, uh, it'll just be you and me. Um, if you've been tuning in uh, every month uh, this year, you know I've been sharing chapters of a previous book of mine called God is Calling, Inspirational Messages uh, of Sacred Feminine Liberation Theology. So uh, we're going to, and that's just a mouthful that means um, Goddess Values uh, Liberate Us or Set Us Free. Uh, And each chapter is... um, about some of those ideas and values, you know, meant to uh, teach about uh, values of the sacred feminine and maybe uh, give some uh, insight uh, and wisdom uh, about some, you know, maybe it's ideas you haven't thought of before. And it's usually followed by a meditation. So, um, 11 o'clock uh, next Wednesday, the 15th, uh, meet me here. And uh, so you don't forget, it's always a great idea to hit the follow button on the show page. Uh, that way you get a reminder in your um, email inbox uh, that a new show is about ready to start and uh, you can listen to it uh, anytime at your convenience. All right. Well, that about does it for me. Uh, I hope you're staying safe out there and um, uh, be well. Enjoy your summer. And uh, you can always count on Voices of the Sacred Feminine to be here uh, every Wednesday at 11. Uh, But bye for now.